I titled the message, Knowledge That Builds Up. Because all people have some amount of knowledge. Some are the smartest people in the room, some are kind of in the middle, and some are kind of on the lower end. But they all have knowledge, some kind of knowledge. We all learn by living. We learn uh, how things work uh, how, with just living in this life. But after a lengthy chapter on Christian marriage, which was the last couple of studies, as well as um, <clears throat> the idea of living celibate for the Lord and living with this gift of singleness Paul talks about, he shifts to this idea of some Bible uh, kind of bullet points would tell you that this is about uh, being sensitive to conscience. And some would just tell you that the whole chapter is about food sacrificed to idols. And you're like, well, Dan, I don't, I don't struggle with food sacrificed to idols because we don't really have that problem in our day. But we have a different problem in our day, which is interesting, and we'll get to that. But when you think about your life, where you buy stuff, where you buy your food, where you go eat at restaurants, there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of stores that have differing outlooks on life than you do. There are a lot of places where you go, well, I won't go there because they've put out that they're all about this. And I don't like the mission statement of this company or that company. And I'm not here to trash any company. I could do that for, for hours and hours. I could just pick holes in lots of companies um, by the, the statements they put out. It's not the point. And we won't go there because it's, it doesn't build up the text. You guys know enough. But you also know that there's a lot of boycotts. There's calls for boycotts. There's, hey, let's, let's go to this restaurant on this day because our voices and our money will vote that way and we'll support them. Great. If that's how you feel, you got you to gotta do something, then great. But what we're really talking about is the idea of Christian liberty and the idea of conscience as a Christian. That's what we're really going after here. And so the knowledge that you get, you don't have to go very far to get a lot of knowledge these days. You can be, you can, you can get a master's degree through the internet. You can get uh, books on tape. You can listen to podcasts that teach you how to do X, Y, and Z. You can be like super not mechanical like me, and you can learn how to do stuff by just watching a few hours of YouTube. You can, you can build a wall. You can frame a little shed in the back. I mean, you can do all these things because the knowledge is out there. But what I really want us to hone in on as Christians, as people who would say they are all about God's word, is to talk about this idea of not just conscience, but, but love and, and being loving towards someone else's beliefs within the family of God, within the faith. So in verse uh, 1, 2, and 3 in chapter 8, Paul says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It's very important. I underlined that. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him, known by God. 
So I titled this kind of this, this first part, Where's the Love? Because it's not really about idols. We're going to get into that in a second. But it's... It's the idea of having so much knowledge and being so smart, maybe theologically. Maybe you listen to really smart guys. Maybe you read uh, the, the, the Spurgeons and the Calvins and the uh, Tozers and the rest of them. I mean, there's, there's just there's so many books that you can, you can just read anything. You can, you can get it all on your phone, too, nowadays. You can uh, take stuff that used to not even be possible to find, and now it's, it's, it's like abridged into your language. You can just read. Like I struggle. Somebody gave me a, a page of the of the actual King James Bible from like 450 years ago, and there's stuff. It's in Judges. There's stuff I can't even read. Old English uh, types, like little letters that I'm like, uh, is that a V? Is that a U? I don't know what that is. But we all have knowledge. It's an interesting way to start. The answer to the question, these Corinthians asked Paul, talk to us about this, talk to us about marriage, talk to us about food sacrifice to idols. Why is this an issue? It's an issue because in a day without refrigeration, in a day without freezers, in a day with limited preservation for meat, protein, which is what people ate, you had temples, you had priests, you had people that would bring a sacrifice to, let's just throw out a name, Zeus. So there's a temple in Corinth to Zeus or to Diana or to whoever. And so you bring this goat or this lamb in there and you go, hey, I want to I want to bring a sacrifice to Zeus. And so they, they, they sacrifice the animal, but they don't burn all of the animal. And so the premium pieces get cut off and get sold. Almost like in a cafeteria, almost like in a restaurant. So people could come and get fresh leg of lamb, if you will, that the body that it was attached to, at some point in time, the priest offered to Zeus. Now, Zeus is fictitious. It's Greek mythology. Um, there's little idols that you can find at some of these New Orleans shops, like a little wooden idol. What is an idol? He's going to get into that in a second. Idols go all the way back to the Old Testament. If you're a Christian and you walk into a temple and you know what's going on in the in the front part, but you're in the food part and you're buying this from a modern day butcher shop, if you will, and you know it was sacrificed to this idol or this idol or this, you may struggle with that. And another Christian may not struggle with that because they're like, who cares? Look at what Paul, Paul says. Uh, verse 4, therefore concerning eating of the things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing. Okay, so Paul, speaking through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, says idols, little wooden things, little whatever, statues, are nothing in the world. So an idol is nothing, and that there is no other God but one. So an idol might be to somebody who's in modern day Corinth, it might be, oh, well, my idol, my God is Zeus, or my God is Hermes, or whoever. Yeah, but I'm a Christian and I know better. I have knowledge beyond Greek mythology. And so I know that I need to buy some meat for my family, so I'm going to go to the place where you can get it cheaper. And it's cheaper there than it is anywhere else because of the sheer, the sheer volume of how much was going through there. And obviously, like I said, it's not going to last days and days and days. It's going to be a quick deal. So you go in and you grab the meat that you need, and sometimes you eat some in the restaurant or in the area where they prep it, and sometimes people see you. And so where does he go from there? 
For even if there are so-called gods, little g, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, there's so many gods, there's so many, little g, there's so many idols, there's so many things people worship. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Veggie Tales of, of St. Patrick, um, but they worship Twix. Okay, and the funniest thing, because I love that one almost as much as I love the Esther one, which is literally world-class comedy. Um, you have to see it. You have to see Esther um, make you laugh like in stitches for 30 straight minutes. But the the St. Patrick one, they're like, hey, do you want to worship my stick? He's like, no, thanks, I'm good. Um, exactly, right? Like, what is a stick gonna do? Like, who who can you convince that that's a good thing? Who can you convince that this stick, which you cut off a tree, has power? So there's many things that people say are gods or lords or whatever, there's, but there's, there's, no, there's only one God. So Paul's so clear on this. So we have knowledge, knowledge puffs up. We need to be careful with knowledge. Seminaries are full of knowledge about God. Seminaries that train young men and women for ministries, plural, many ministries. Moody Bible Institute, where I went, trains hundreds of kids a year to go out and to be, to be missionaries, to be ministers, to be whatever, to be pilots in the, in the bush. And yet there's all this knowledge that you have to sign something. You don't have to sign a Bible. You have to sign a thing that's called the student life guide. And it says, I will not do this. I will not do this. I will not. All these do's and don'ts, which we're going to get into in a second. And you almost get the feeling like the student life guide is above the word of God. Why don't you just have us sign a Bible and say we're going to try to like adhere to God's word? Like this is stuff you guys made up. Uh, well, it's the '90s, guys. Think about it. It's not even 30 years ago. Late '90s, uh, women at my school could not wear pants; had to wear dresses below their knees. To, uh, to and we had to go to chapel two or three days a week, and you had to be there and you had to sign your name in. So the girls couldn't wear jeans, couldn't wear pants. I mean, we couldn't. We had to wear slacks and a shirt and tie. So I would just go to resale shops and find the most pit-stained ones I could with old 70s ties, which back then weren't very cool. And just, I mean, it was almost like, well, if you're going to make me wear this, I'm going to have some fun with it. It's almost like a dumb and dumber, like an orange tux. Like, that's what I'm going to wear to, if you're going to make me wear this. Because I was a little bit of a rebel. So knowledge is great about God, but where's the love? How do you apply your knowledge properly to Christians, non-Christians, and especially sensitive brand new Christians that come out of something where they have a different worldview or they, they're like, you can't do this and you, you, no Christian can do this or this or this. Paul would say nothing's off the table for a Christian, but is everything smart? Does everything make you grow? Is anything going to be your master? That you cannot, you can't say that God's my master and then go be mastered by something and be in line. That's what Paul would say. That's what he did say. So knowledge in general is a wonderful thing, but in our day it's weaponized. You guys know this? Knowledge is weaponized, it's manipulated. Someone may come to you and say that you did something that you didn't do. Or there may be, if you're on the internet, there may be a video of you saying something you didn't say, believe it or not. Do you guys know what deep fake videos are? 
AI videos right now with enough with enough recorded facial like like you you make a video of yourself you put it out on YouTube if there's enough of your face and enough of your words AI can manipulate you into saying the exact opposite of what you say so there can be there can be videos made of me preaching the gospel of Satan if somebody wanted to do it it's possible the technology is possible now you guys all know if you saw that that you wouldn't believe it but I'm telling you these deep fake videos are here to stay and they're only starting you guys may not, all of you may not even know about them, but they're out there. I've seen politicians that they've manipulated. They're like, look at this technology, look at this. And they make a politician say something that they're not, that you know they're not about. It's just the exact opposite of what they've always been about. They're like, look at this. And you can almost not tell that it's been manipulated. So he says, um, look, idols are nothing. Everything, if you're a Christian, everything is about knowing that there's no other God but God. Therefore, do you have to really fear walking into a place that you're like, hey, something went on here that was weird once. It was, I don't know, they did a seance in here where this old bar used to be a really like a strip club and now it's a church. I say, great, buy the strip club that, and turn it into a church. I say, great, who cares what used to be there? Who cares? Use it for good. Shannon prays uh, every time she passes something like the lion's den. She prays curses on them. Um, curses in the name of Jesus. Get rid of an adult store. Sometimes it works. Um, I've seen people do it. But who cares what something used to be? Use it for God's glory. You might be the next person that it's like, hey, this used to be a really, really bad place. But now it's a church. Awesome. It's just a piece of real estate. There's one God. Everything else is a little G. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, of whom, verse 6, by the way, all are things, uh, of whom all are things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom you and I live. Christ, John chapter 1. Christ, through Christ, all things were made. Nothing was made in the world that wasn't made through Christ. That's God's word. So, once again, idols are nothing. Idols can be pieces of wood. They can be uh, crucifixes. They can be anything that you put your stock in. You put your hope and salvation in that is not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So he says in verse uh, 7, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Not everybody knows it. For some, with conscious, consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. This is someone with a wrongly informed conscience. Whether they're brand new to the faith, whether they're just kind of coming to a church and they're like, hey, I, I need, I'm, I'm trying to figure out this Christianity thing, but I came out of a weird cult or I came out of a weird belief system and I believe that, that you can never go there. You can never step foot in a place like that. And if you ever eat something sacrificed to idols, it's in you for forever and it permeates you and whatever. I was just talking to a, a pastor buddy of mine this week about another guy that we know of who says that Christians can be demon-possessed. I go, well, where does he get that? I just want to know where he gets that. And he goes, look, he's a great teacher, um, and he teaches that. I go, I don't, like, I've read the New Testament. I can't find that. He who is in you 
is who? If you're a Christian, he who is in you is the Holy Spirit of God. Not going to live right next door to a demon. Now, can you be influenced? Can you put yourself in really bad positions? Can you be messed with by the demonic realm? Absolutely, all day. Absolutely. But for a person who gives their heart, their soul, their, their spirit to God, where his spirit comes into a person, and then that person gets demon-possessed? No, we don't see that in Scripture. Don't see it. This is, I mean, the New Testament is crystal clear. So... Where people get their ideas, where, oh, I saw this on YouTube. Uh, they were demon-possessed uh, Christians, and this guy was, you know, an exorcist came in. And I'm like, so many things wrong. Hard to explain without charts. It can't happen. Period. But a person who has a wrongly informed conscience, a person who does not have the same knowledge as you, you don't come in and just hammer them. You don't come in and go, you are so messed up. You are whatever, whatever the case is. You come in and you say, hey, let's talk about that. Can you tell me where in Scripture you see that there, there is a lot of demon possession in the New Testament? Absolutely. Don't you think the same pastor said this last week, because we were talking about demon possession. And he goes, don't you think that the demonic realm just unleashed on Jesus and unleashed on the people around Jesus? I go, absolutely he did. Nothing scared Satan more than Jesus walking the earth and showing people God in the flesh. Because God was always so distant. It's like in the Old Testament, the royal priesthood was scary to some people. It certainly had its order. God is a God of order. You certainly don't mess with God. You certainly don't walk into his holy of holies and expect to live. And so there was a priesthood. There was a way that God made for the people to be atoned. There was a way for them to approach God through the priesthood. And when Jesus said, it is finished, this is a new covenant. This is a new era. This is a new way. He's the one that made a way when there was no other way. And that's through his Holy Spirit. So when someone comes to you and goes, well, I don't know that you can ever, if you're a Christian, if you smoke a cigarette, I don't know, I don't know if you can be saved. Um, if you have a glass of wine, I don't know if you can be saved. I mean, like, where does this come from? It's not in the scriptures. Now, people can abuse anything, truthfully. People can abuse anything, everything can be messed. Like, I, I was talking to a guy who said, uh, he said, I was with him at a restaurant in Nashville once, and he's a pastor, and he goes, um, so the people that were just here, they dropped, we were on a long layover going somewhere else, and we, they took, this couple took us to a place, and they were members of, I think it was BJ's, uh, the place, the pizza joint, and they were members of, like, the Bureau of the Month Club or something. And he goes, uh, he goes, are they strong believers? I go, I think so. And he goes, but they're a member of the Beer of the Month Club. And I go, and? He goes, I just don't think he could be a strong believer and, and ever drink beer. And I go, how much coffee do you drink in a day? And he goes, well, you know. I go, is it possible to be addicted to coffee? Yes, of course. I go, okay. So once again, you're deciding that they, you don't, they've never even told you that they drink any. They're just on their keychain was a Beer of the Month Club from the restaurant we were at. And so you're judging them. Once again, it's knowledge without any backup. You can, you can judge whoever you'd like to judge. You're in the wrong when you do that because uh, Jesus t told us that he is the judge. The Father is the judge. But you could be addicted to anything. You can be addicted to a phone, stuff on the Internet, food, coffee, you name it. 
But when people come in and they go, well, I just don't know that you could be a Christian and still X. Unless that is Christian and worshiping Satan, I don't know where we go there. I don't know how we get there. I'm not saying that, that all habits are good. I'm just saying Paul said everything is permissible. Everything for me, I have real freedom. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. Mastery is the issue. Keeps talking about this idea of like, the Lord is your master. So follow the Lord. And he is your master. This person over here and this person over here who may call themselves Christians, they are not your judge and jury. Don't worry about them. At the same time, don't harpoon them when they say something that's stupid. Be like, hey, you know what? That's, you're not my Holy Spirit. Thank you so much. I'm going to keep following the Holy Spirit. So there's so much in this, in this letter that's more than the idol sacrificed meat. He says in uh, verse 8, But food does not commend us to God, for, we ne for neither if we eat are we better, nor if we do not eat uh, are we the worse. I love how the New Living, um, the New Living Bible says that um, verse. He goes, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. True. We don't miss out on anything if we don't eat, and we don't gain anything if we do. Once again, you may gain a few pounds if you eat, but you're not getting an ounce closer to God. You may be a little skinnier than you used to be if you, if you fast a little while, but God's not like, oh, thank God. Now you're closer to me because you, you did a fast. Fasting is something we do because... We want to deny our flesh. But it's not like if you do it, now you're a better Christian than your neighbor. But guys, I say this and we kind of chuckle. I grew up in, in many, I went to lots of churches from being a little, little kid until I was, until I moved to Arizona 20 years ago. And you, I heard people say stuff like this. I heard people say, oh, if you don't listen to uh, this much uh, sermon on tape, you're not a good pastor. If you don't read this many verses a day, you're not a good Christian. If you don't do 30 minutes of devos, you're not really saved. I mean, I've heard people say the craziest stuff. I think I told you guys that um, we were listening to some uh, rock song at Moody Bible Institute, and this guy threw the devil horn tracks under, the, under our doors and said, all of you guys are going to burn in hell. Like, that's really sad because we're all here to become pastors. That's really sad. That really stinks. And my, my RA, the resident assistant on the floor, he just he went off on this guy. He, like, flipped out on this guy. And he was like, well, you know, I don't mean that you're all going to actually burn, but that antichrist devil child and knight in Satan service, that's what those bands are. I'm like, if you ask Gene Simmons, he will tell you the band does not mean that. Right now. He's alive still. If you ask, if you ask the... The existing members of ACDC, they won't tell you that's what the band stands for. But even if it did, there's no power in ACDC. There's no power in whatever they're selling. There's power in God. So it's, it's amazing to me what people tell people you can't do and still be saved. So at the same time, be aware, verse 9, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. So he's talking to both sides of the fence here. He's talking to the people who have tons of knowledge, but he's also talking to the weak. Here, if you have liberty in Christ, don't use it 
to hurt somebody, to stumble somebody. I, I, I used to hang out with certain Christians who were like, we're, our job is to kind of be rebels because everybody's so legalistic, so we're going to really push the envelope. Well, there's a lot of like legalistic Christians that you really, really, really messed with when you did some of those other stuff and when you said some of those other things at them. We, did, we as, as the mature believer in Christ, their job is to edify. Their job is to build up. You know why? Because that's what Jesus did. Every chance he had, he built people up in God. He, tr I mean, he tried with the Pharisees to reason with them, but they weren't reasonable. But everybody else, he, like Jesus, when you listen to his sermons, they are absolute truth. They are absolutely straight truth. But he doesn't say them like snarky and mean. He just gives people the real gospel. He gave people, and, and the Sermon on the Mount is like, hey, this is how... The child of God in, in heaven is going to be. These are the attributes. Are you there right now? I don't think many people can read Matthew chapter 5 and be like, yep, I'm doing all of it perfectly. I've never met anybody close. But it's important for us to aim high as Christians. It's important for us to aim for the bar. To not be like, well, we can't do it. And we can't get any closer to God, so we may as well all be whatever. Like not try or, or whatever. whatever the, you fill in the blank. For anyone, verse 10, sees you, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? We get to a, we get to a point where sometimes the freedom, and you, you absolutely have freedom in Christ, but you don't want it to stumble somebody. <clears throat> You don't want to take a Christian who struggled with this or this or this and be like, well, come to a dinner with us where we're doing all the things that you used to struggle with. Why? Because we have the freedom to do it. And the next thing you know, they're like, well, I abused all those things and now I'm just going to do them as much as possible because the license is out. And you want to build them up. You want to be the person who goes, I I'm willing to give this up. I'm not going to do this around this person. Whatever it is. When, uh, in the 80s, smoking in Chicagoland was starting to, they were starting to uh, taper it in restaurants. If you guys, if you young kids can believe it, we had to sit next to people on airplanes who would smoke cigarettes right next to us as young kids with oxygen cans all over the place. It's like, talk about a nuke waiting to blow. Um, no idea why that was ever fine. Just right next to this oxygen tank, I'm going to light this cigarette um, and, and flick it next to a little kid with an ash ball. That was, all I cared about was getting to Disney World, so two hours of smoke, whatever. But I'm serious. You go to McDonald's and they have these little tin, uh, back when McDonald's was like a place you went inside to. Now, now it's all drive through but you used to go inside. And they had these little ashtrays and we would smash them just because they were smashable. They were like three, three times as thick as aluminum foil. It was fun. Um, but we were sitting next to people and my dad just hated it. Hated, hated sitting next to smokers so much. And um, I got this negative view like smokers were like, they must be all unsaved. They all must be devil worshippers. Like, that's how I kind of was like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to think that about them. I don't know. But you can, you, you can take your bents and you can influence people that you don't even know you're influencing. I mean, God help us, our blind spots that rub off on other people where we don't even ever see them. Um, I believe God is bigger than all those things. But 
I remember thinking when it started to taper, when it started to stop, people made fun of smokers like way more and they were like ostracized and I'm like I don't care if they smoke in the parking lot at our church as long as they come in I would love it I don't mind picking up after that Chuck Smith used to pick up the cigarette butts in the church in Costa Mesa from what I heard um, he didn't care and I don't think that anybody should ever like not come to a church because of that it's like it's it's, it's mind-boggling that that would have ever been the mentality but it was and then I got to out uh, to Phoenix 25 years ago and they basically like almost prosecuted smokers on the billboards like Arizona was so against especially Phoenix was so against it I'm like man these people like they gotta hide together at an office complex because they're gonna get shot by somebody just for smoking that's what it felt like I'm like is this the worst thing that ever happened to me I mean my grandpa was from Kentucky and northern Tennessee where they rolled their own they rolled their own cigarette every night after dinner and I'm like I just didn't think it was that big of a deal but for some people certain things are like red flags triggers like oh you never do that if you're you're paul saying look use your knowledge to build people up jesus will take anyone who comes to him even a smoker I say that tongue-in-cheek. Um, Jesus will take anybody. I mean, the woman who's caught in adultery was literally in the act with someone who wasn't her husband, and he had nothing to say but go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Now, some people would go like, well, I don't know that he said that. You know, he, the, the, the liberals would be like, he just said, just go, I don't condemn you. No, he mentioned the word sin. There are places where, unfortunately, you're going to go to a church and never hear that word. But he did. He said, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Like, you have now seen God. You have seen forgiveness. You have seen love. Go and sin no more. Because of your knowledge, verse 11, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Because of all the things that you know, because of your new theology, because of your seminary degree, because of your master's in divinity, because of whatever, because you listen to the 15 podcasts of pastors that are all super smart, should this weak brother feel like he can't get close to God or feel like he uh, is ashamed or feel whatever? No. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience or uninformed, poorly informed conscience, you sin against Christ. When you pull people away because of something that you think that is your right to say to them or whatever it is, you're sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul was way past it all. He's like, dude, nothing's worth that. No freedom is worth that. Whatever your freedom is, it's not about your rights. We live in a rights culture, very similar to the Corinthians. They were rights people, huge, huge on their rights. That's what commentators say about this culture. We can relate to that. Not necessarily the idol sacrificed meat, but at the same time, do you think that at some point you've eaten a steak somewhere that was cooked by a Satanist? The answer is yes if you've eaten more than like 20 steaks. Somebody who is not following Jesus, who's like, yeah, I hate God. 
but um, how'd you want it, medium rare? <laughs> you have. You just don't know about it. It's better that you don't know. I used to think, man, I've eaten so much. I've eaten so many breakfast burritos from McDonald's and so many croissant witches from Burger King. I don't want to know how many people picked their nose before they touched my sandwich. I just don't want to know. But I am not an idiot. I know it's happened, and I know I've been sick lots of times in my life, and likely that was it. Likely it was the amount of fast food. My grandpa used to hate fast food. He's like, why would you go pay for food when you're, when you can make it in your home for half? I'm like, I understand that, Grandpa. You lived in 1920s. So there was no McDonald's or you'd be on my page right now. McDonald's is money. Anyway, finishing up. Um, Adam Clark, I uh, love Adam Clark. Um, he says, to get back to the original thing, he goes, there are many images that are supposed to be represent representations of divinities. But these divinities are nothing but the figments of mere fantasy. And these images have no corresponding reality. They are not real. They may be real in the eyes of the person, but in the eyes of eternity, in the eyes of the maker of all things, they are not realities. They are, it is just a little piece of wood that you carved into a little dude. That's all it is. It has no power. A couple things wrapping up. Number one, knowledge is a wonderful thing, but it also can be a slippery slope. It can never be regarded as higher than sacrificial love. Never. Knowledge is wonderful. Solomon would tell you to get as much as you can. Be informed, read, take in good information. But there's just as much bad information out there. Secondly, we must understand that nothing makes us more acceptable to God than Christ alone. Nothing. There's a lot of wonderful religious things you could do in this life. There's a lot of great things that God may ask you to do for him. But that's after you got saved. What got you saved was Jesus dying. That's what got you saved, not your intellect. Not, well, I was humble enough to come to the cross. Nope. Christ alone. Anything else is heresy. Therefore, all of your knowledge, all of the things you give up, and especially all of the gray areas that you avoid for the sake of the cross, won't bring you an inch closer to God. You are acceptable and loved in the beloved because of Christ, because of God's holy Son. That's, that's the reason we can come into this place and approach God and pray to Him and have Him act in our lives is because of Christ. And lastly, the most mature Christians are the ones that build up and bring other believers together. I'm going to read that again. The most mature are not the ones that say that they are. The most mature are the ones that build people up in the faith and bring other believers together. Anyone can divide people. That's the easiest thing in the world. Beat the sheep, divide people, say controversial things on YouTube. It's the easiest thing in the world. You can get yourself canceled 15 times a day if you're willing to put a video on YouTube and say something that no one else will say publicly because they care about their life. If you don't care about your life, hey, destroy it, blow it up, say stupid stuff on, on the internet. And then after that, say you're a Christian. Fastest way to be canceled. But the most mature Christians are the ones that build up and bring other believers together. Anyone can divide because it is arguably the easiest thing to do in our culture specifically. Let's pray. Father, we get, uh, give this time to you, God. I pray that this study... Um, finds uh, a soft heart in all of us, God, that we would all be not just willing to look again at this, at this idea 
of where we're at with building people up, where we're at with, with the knowledge and the theology and the things that we're standing on. God, if those things aren't of you, if those things are just uh, background noise or, or, or the, the thing, the, the cultural uh, hot buttons, God, let us revisit the scriptures. Let us come back to what you're calling us to. God, there's, there's very little time left. There's very, there's just so much out there that's destruction. Please help us, Lord, to, to love people no matter where they're at. People are very far away in a lot of cases, but to love them where they're at and to tell them the truth and love in Jesus' name. Amen.